Welcome back. My guest today is Rebecca Naylor. Rebecca is an energy medicine practitioner, ascension guide, water advocate, intuitive channel, and way shower in service to this shift in consciousness on Gaia. She's a certified practitioner of combo medicine, spiritual life coach, energy medicine practitioner, psychedelics integration guide, and award-winning licensed interior designer. Rebecca was a guest on episode 123, where we go deep into all things combo medicine. That was part of a series where I had guests talking about different kinds of psychedelic medicines from combo to ayahuasca, psilocybin, and others. So if you're curious to check that out, go to episode 123 and the few episodes right before and right after that one. I always love podcast conversations that happen after that first one, because in the first interview, we typically reveal the guest's hero journey and their life story. And then after that, it's just a playground for whatever is meant to be shared in the moment. And every time I connect with Rebecca, I get this sense and this energetic transmission of her being this real life fairy. She really carries very potent and beautiful and earthly medicine in her. We talk about discovering your ecological niche as a human. This is my very first time exploring these portals and it gets really interesting. We talk about universe as a treasure map, about integrating psychedelic experiences and how Rebecca's role as water love weaver was revealed to her, why water has been shown to her as a potent medicine for today, Rebecca's experience at a fit for service event with Aubrey Marcus, water and crystal technology as carriers of consciousness, and learning to trust the mystery, including the mystery of grief, which in Rebecca's case has been a portal, a beautiful portal for growth and trust and learning and being fully with her soul's journey. Before we jump in, I am called to point you to another related episode, which actually is how Rebecca discovered me and ended up joining one of my programs and connecting with me. And that is episode 84 with Anna Brown. It is a super, super powerful episode about hacking your own brain, making decisions from your own heart portal, and really gamifying your life and remembering how powerful of a creator you are and that every choice you make builds the reality that you live in each moment. So that's episode 84. Scroll back down to that, add it to your library. And in the meantime, enjoy this beautiful conversation with Rebecca Naylor. I am so excited to share with you that my number one podcasting tool since day one of this podcast, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the discount link in show notes and stay tuned for why I love using Zen for the podcast. Rebecca Naylor, welcome back to the show. Since we have spoken last time, you have changed the alias, the name, the avatar form by which you go. And I have changed my podcast name not once, but twice. So one of the topics that 
brings us together today is this theme of identity shifts and shedding and evolving with Gaia. Besides that, I'm just really honored and excited and grateful to co-create with you whatever medicine is meant to be shared with both of us and also with each human and non-human who's called to listen to this. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ksenia. I am so grateful and honored to be back and to join you and yeah, just feeling so much beauty from this conversation and all that's to to come with it and also just setting the intention for anyone that is receiving the messages that we shared today to really be blessed by the love that's behind the messages. And so I'm really excited to talk with you today. And so it is. I am just looking at the notes from our previous conversation, which was episode one, two, three. Apparently, this number is very much good for the energy of your first home. So thinking about our first conversation being this home for housing so much wisdom about Cambo medicine. So if anyone is called to listen to specifically that, Rebecca shared so many beautiful frequencies. I actually felt like I was in an altered state of consciousness after it because you just transmitted so much frequency through the words, through your presence. So I'm just inviting anyone who is called to listen about combo and psychedelics to episode 123. And I am just called to start by asking you, Rebecca, what has transpired since we have last spoken and what feels present to you right now? Wow, so much. And yeah, I love that our episode was one, two, three. And thank you for sharing that about the energetics of it, creating a foundation or structure for home. Yeah, that, that feels really alive. I think we spoke, it was about a year ago or a little over a year ago. And of course, we've all gone through such a collective shift in that period of time since I think it was October of 2020. And we're recording this on November 12th, 2021, the day after the 1111 portal, which is also really beautiful. So yeah, for me, the recent identity shift, and I think why our energies were aligning in the ethers um, when you reached out is, I would really say at the beginning of 2021, I really set an intention to rest into this trust and knowing that I am being molded by the dream of the earth. And I also turned 40 this year, you know, an opportunity for me to go into deeper introspection. You know, what is my my gift in the greater earth community? What is my eco niche within the greater earth community? And I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that. But I really set the intention to be led by soul. And so I also started the year with joining Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service program, which is absolutely incredible. The work that Aubrey is doing is, it's completely changing the world. And he's really just getting started with what he's creating. But it's this beautiful container of people that feel called to really step into what it means to be of service. And not just of service to the human community, service to our earth community. And so beginning with Fit for Service this year really kind of set the tone for everything that started showing up in my life. Would you share a bit more about 
what exactly transpired and and how it shifted your experience because I've never been part of Aubrey's offerings. Yeah. But I absolutely adore his podcast and I love how he holds space and the sense of curiosity with which he explores the human experience and the soul experience. And he's definitely one of my very favorite people to follow and see what he's up to in the world. So I'd love to hear the specifics of that experience and anything you feel called to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Aubrey is an incredible human being and gives so, so much of himself. Yeah, this container that he's created, it's really quite exceptional. It's really a a choose-your-own-adventure container, the fellowship is. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of different topics and different masterminds and, you know, whatever you want to call them, different uh, discussions that you can participate in throughout your, your time in the fellowship. And those range from sacred sexuality, plant medicine, you know, doing deeper inner child healing work, couples work, conscious parenting. And so it's a very broad spectrum of all of these different facets of the human existence that if we feel called to really dive into and further explore and optimize and also heal, it really puts us in a position of being fit for service. And so you go through a series of trimesters in the program. So it's divided into three trimesters, which is really beautiful because it also mimics the birthing process. And this year in 2021, the theme was we started with the sacred feminine, then it shifted into the sacred masculine, and then it ended in the sacred union. So I only participated in the sacred feminine trimester. I got to a place where I got what I needed, and I also had a lot of other things that started to shift in my life, and so I felt like it was time to take a pause. I might rejoin at some point, but yeah, there's a lot of things shifting right now. So I haven't felt called to to come back yet. But the the trimesters, they they culminate in a in a summit. And so the summit that we had was in Costa Rica this year, which was really beautiful as we were focused on the sacred feminine and really cultivating the divine feminine energies within all of us that are here to help heal the planet and raise the consciousness on the planet. Going to Costa Rica felt perfect and completely germane to facilitating this connection with the divine feminine as Costa Rica herself holds such a feminine energetic frequency. For me, I was really tapped into this beautiful sense that this is a node on the planet that acts as a womb, a womb space for people. There's a lot of, you know, biodiversity and life itself in Costa Rica. It's rich with water. And the summit there, I mean, it really is the the pinnacle of human experience. That's the best way to describe it. It's incredible. It's electrifying. Um, you're coming together with 150 people from all over the world. And, you know, we all have this shared mission of wanting to raise the, the consciousness of the planet so that we can all consciously evolve and and heal each other and heal our world. And so we go through a series of you know, um, doing some deeper shadow work, connecting with, you know, our sacred sexuality. We had this epic ecstatic dance near the beach and in between the beach and the jungle at sunset where Aubrey was leading us through this Stanlos Groff 
guided ecstatic dance narrative of moving through our embryonic state in the mother's womb being birthed and then coming out into the world feeling that sense of separation and the fear that comes from the separation and then coming back to the knowing that we are never fully separate because we are the earth. And then we had, you know, all these beautiful workshops and group practices with led by just visionaries and um, incredible people doing wonderful things on this planet. And so it was a really beautiful experience. And it was also my first introduction to Costa Rica. And so since since going there, I've been back again. And it's actually very tied into the recent identity shift um, that you that you mentioned and that we were speaking about. And yeah, it just kind of planted the seeds for everything that's blooming in my life right now, which is really beautiful. So you've pointed to the massive shifts that are happening a few times. And I would just love to go straight there. What are those changes that you're experiencing? How are you experiencing them within yourself and outside of yourself? And how are you creating the space to move through it all? This is such a beautiful invitation. Thank you for letting me share this because it's actually helping me to to integrate all of this as well. So as I mentioned, you know, I started the year with the intention of really leaning into this trust that the world herself is dreaming me awake. And the work that I felt called to do is really going into these deeper initiations with soul. And when I say soul, I'm not describing it from the sense of, you know, an energy that inhabits a body, a consciousness that inhabits a body. I'm describing it from the sense of our ecological niche in the world. And so I had this, I guess, a numinous realization um, when I was meditating one day that Gaia herself you know, being a planetary body, a part of this great experimentation that we're all participating in with consciousness, she dreamed all of us into existence. And so I started to go a little bit deeper into that. Well, you know, why did she dream us into existence? You know, what is the meaning behind all of this? And what I really started being able to tap in more into was that she called our souls here for us to fit a specific ecological niche, not necessarily a social role, not necessarily, you know, our vocational role, but, you know, how are we not only sustaining, but enhancing life on this planet? And human beings seem to be the only species on this planet that have forgotten that because the bear comes in and knows its ecological niche. The salmon comes in and knows its ecological niche. It, you know, transfers minerals from the ocean to the rivers. And then the bears actually catch the salmon and disperse their nutrients. And the trees participate in this as well. And so it was really going deeper into discovering what is my ecological niche in this world beyond, you know, being an earth steward and beyond being the social roles that I have, beyond even being a healer. And what I was really tapping into was that our soul does not speak to us in these more um, descriptive roles. Our soul speaks to us in the form of metaphor and poetry and mythology and archetypes. 
And is it possible that our ecological niche is in this metaphor, in this poetry, and in this mythology? And once I started really diving into all of this, you know, the universe herself is very much like a like a treasure map. <laughs> you know, we we get these little symbols and, you know, things just show up. And I know that you're so in tune with this as well. You know, when we really pay attention to, you know, the symbols, the metaphors, the mythos of our life, like it all starts to put this puzzle together. And it's the sacred dance that we are here to do our entire lives. It's not a linear process and sometimes it can take years. But what I really started to to really dive into was I think more this idea that, you know, perhaps there's a level of awakening that my soul is calling for that's even deeper than the one that I'm already in. And I know, you know, from listening to your solo casts recently, what I was really aligning with was, you know, at least what I was receiving from what from what you were sharing was that you were going into these even deeper and deeper awakenings with your soul. And, you know, there are so many deeper layers that we can go into when we are able to, um, you know, sometimes they happen spontaneously, but sometimes with intention and with courage, like we really open up these incredible portals within us. So what does it mean? And what have you discovered from this curiosity of finding your ecological niche as a human? And why is that important in the first place? Um, I think, you know, we'd have to go back to framing the context of where humans may have lost. And this is not a criticism at all. This is just, you know, an observation that we are living in a world where most humans are psychologically adolescent and it's not our fault. <laughs> it's the programs and the paradigms, especially in the Western world, that we have been brought up in that have conditioned us to stay in this stunted psychological state. And so by psychological adolescence, what I'm referring to is it has nothing to do with age. It's all um, frame of mind and it's where you're in service to self rather than service to the collective, service to the greater earth community. And also seeing yourself as an intricate part of the web of life in this greater earth community, because we each truly have a specific note, a specific song that Gaia herself, the earth herself called us here to sing. And she's actually made more whole by us embodying that and sharing that gift with the world. That's why she called us here. And so it's truly the greatest conversation that we can have with the earth herself and with this embodied existence is, you know, are we going to share the unique ecological niche that we came to share with the world that really helps to complete and weave this tapestry of the web of life that we're all connected to? And so the emotional and psychological adolescence, you know, is what we see pervasive in our culture. It's where most people are focused on, you know, self-discovery and self-fulfillment, which is important. It's important for us to all go through that. That's how we start to learn and understand ourselves. But when we move from psychological adolescence to psychological adulthood, this is where we truly know who we are. We know what our unique e ecological niche is in the world. 
we embody that, we share it in creative ways. It's not always through a vocational role or a social role. Sometimes it's in very different roles. And then also when we are truly embodying this and sharing this with the world, this is also how we continue to be of service to the earth and move into eldership. And I think that we can all agree that we're living on a planet that is missing the leadership of elders. We have a lot of olders in our world, but not necessarily elders. And the elders are the ones that, again, coming from going through the rites of passage and soul initiation from adulthood, are able to really embody this ecological niche in the world and also be able to guide the adolescents and the adults through rites of passage, through soul initiation journeys in order to be the ones that are here to share this wisdom. And so it's a lot of moving parts, <laughs> but I think that that framework, and we can go a little bit deeper into that, but for myself personally, why it's important for me to, to share this is I feel like beyond the work that I'm here to be of service and, you know, holding healing containers for people. I feel like, you know, there is a gift that I'm meant to come here to give to Gaia herself. I feel like she called me here as she called all of us here. She dreamed me into existence and, you know, birthed my body here for a reason. And the mythopoetic identity that I have been able to um, understand that she called me here to embody is the water love weaver. And I can talk a little bit more about how all of that came into my realm of awareness. Please do. I would love to hear where it arose and what was the energetic imprint of where you felt it come in and how you interpreted in your daily life now, and also how it's played into your digital identity and your identity as a healer. Beautiful. Well, so as I mentioned, you know, with this journey that I've been going through this year, I had a, a descent into soul through the summertime and it created a fissure, I guess you could say, in my psyche in a way that was really beautiful. We experienced some, some tragic events in our family. We had a death in our family as you know, so many people are transitioning during this time, you know, so many are grieving and grief has always been a portal for me and a fissure for me to go deeper into the realms of my psyche, the realms of my soul, and maybe even, you know, deeper into the shadows and what's calling for healing. And so I was working with, you know, this, this grieving and this healing around, the journey of death, the rite of passage of death. And it really opened up something within me that was kind of like a, I guess, what you could call a disillusion of soul. And I thankfully had been preparing myself for this and, you know, gave myself adequate support and also really mixed it in with practices that were meant to expand my consciousness and also help me connect with with nature. And so I started spending a lot of time out in nature as nature is really, you know, where we're able to get quiet, where our heart is really able to speak to us and where the whispers of the universe can really infiltrate our our energetic field. And so I 
was spending more time in nature. And then my dreams started to really reveal a lot to me. So I started having these dreams where I was on this ice planet. And on this ice planet, I could I could fly, I could swim, I could shapeshift, all of these incredible supernatural powers that I was embodying on this ice planet. When I would awaken, I felt like I was integrating them into my DNA in some way, and it was really beautiful. And so I started having these reoccurring dreams about the ice planet, and I was, you know, trying to tap into like, okay, what does this all mean? Am I traveling to, you know, another planet somewhere that I've existed before? And so I, you know, just paid attention as I know, again, that the universe and our soul likes to speak to us through these images, these symbols, and this metaphor and mythology and, and poetry. And then I had sat with ayahuasca. Um, I sat with ayahuasca in early October, and I experienced a a really beautiful gift in that ceremony. Many beautiful gifts, but one of the the really incredible ones was this meeting with my soul on a really deep level. And so, the medicine took me on this journey of having a an ego disillusion, an ego death. Um, it was preceded by releasing and grieving something that I was deeply attached to. And I was able to really heal it in a really loving way. And through that release, it opened up this portal within me where I basically was taken on this journey with, with the spirit of the plant where she was helping me leave my body. And I've experienced this through other medicine journeys that are more disassociative, but with ayahuasca, she normally isn't disassociative. Sometimes she can be. And in this state, I was not disassociative at all. I had a lot of crystal clarity around what was transpiring, what was taking place. And I was very consensual in the process of surrendering and letting go, which was really beautiful. And so as I'm having this ego disillusion, and letting go, I feel my consciousness leaving my body, leaving the earth plane, leaving all that I know. And my process, I didn't know this at the time, but I started laughing hysterically because it was all so funny. <laughs> like what, what came to me, and I've, you know, experienced this before, like where you have these moments of levity, like where, you know, you realize that you're taking all of this so seriously. And, and then when you leave, you're like, oh, it's not serious at all. We come here to learn these very serious and important lessons, but it's also this journey of play and discovery and mystery. It truly is all mystery. And so as I'm surrendering and laughing and letting go to the mystery, when I fully surrender, I'm in this liminal etheric space. And it truly felt like the place that I was in before I incarnated, I remembered it. And I remembered it, um, you know, feeling safe. It was dark and it was the dark womb, the dark womb, the cosmic womb um, and cosmic egg of the universe. And so as I'm sitting there and, you know, completely disembodied, just being consciousness, you know, I, I start asking like, you know, 
what am I meant to receive here? And, you know, is there anything that I'm meant to receive here? Or am I just, you know, meant to be here? And this booming voice comes in. And it's the voice of my my soul, my monodic angel, um, the angel that was with me that was when I was birthed into existence, like came in and shared, you know, you're here to learn who you really are as a soul. And as soon as I heard that, like just I could feel, you know, every fiber in my being just completely lighting up and I could feel shifts and patterns shifting, you know, all of the matrices of my being, like being reorganized, like all simultaneously in this moment. And so what she shared, she, they, (laughs) what they shared was that I came here to be the water love weaver. And as soon as I heard that, it was this complete remembrance of every experience I've had in this lifetime of past lifetimes where my connection with water, my deep love for water was revealed to me in a really beautiful way where all of the pieces of the puzzle just really started to make sense. You know, some of the first ones were I was born with the astrological blueprint of having a three water signs as my my major signs. So Pisces, Sun, Pisces, Moon, and Cancer rising. I was also born into a place on the planet where there's lots of spring-fed water and I swam in that spring-fed water all the time and continue to swim in it today. And then I also had these memories of when I was a child and my favorite game to play when I was a little girl was pretending that I was a mermaid, but it was also it was actually remembering that I was a mermaid. And I was a little bit older when Disney's The Little Mermaid came out, so I didn't have the <laughs> the um, cultural context. Uh, mermaids weren't like really a, a big part of pop culture when I was growing up, and so I remember wanting to initiate, you know, this gameplay of mermaids with my friends, and they were just kind of like, I don't know. And I even wanted to continue it when I was much older too, and. And so it's just really interesting. Like you start to, you know, have all of these, just the signs that have always been there all along, but really revealing themselves to you. And so through this remembrance, I also was able to recall past lives when I was a mermaid and also, you know, recall past or parallel or simultaneous timelines, um, you know, on other planets where I had worked with water technologies in the Pleiades and as an Arcturian. And it just all started to come together. And what I really felt was like my eco niche is to, you know, weave divine love into water. And, you know, that is through the practice of, you know, water divination and ritual, but also sharing the beauty of water and how it truly is the matrices and the the unifying field that or the unifying substance rather, that is truly, it is the next step in us understanding our evolution in consciousness, our evolution in in technology and energy, because our body is a crystallographic matrix of water. And when we learn how to you know, truly work with all of the waters within our bodies and also help heal all the waters on our planet, Everything is connected to the water. You can draw it all back to the water. 
I remember when I first started my podcast, it seemed like solving a tech puzzle. But I've been using Zencaster since day one, and it's made it so easy. It provides crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. What I love about it is that it records separate audio and video tracks for me and my guests, so the editing process is a lot more customized. Plus, there's secured cloud backup, so I've never lost an episode. It's super easy to use. There's nothing to download. My guests just have to click the link and we start recording. I am a huge fan of Zencaster, and I haven't even tried the Red Extra functions yet, like post-production and transcriptions. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and enter promo code Xenia to get 30% off your first three months with pro account or try it for free with a hobbyist account. That is Z-N-C-A-S-T-R.com forward slash pricing, promo code Xenia, K-S-E-N-I-A, or click the link in the show notes. It's time to share your story. I definitely have some specific questions around the journey you just shared. And as someone who has mostly fire in my chart, I am fire, sun, moon, and mercury, which mercury, I believe, corresponds with communication. Is that right? I'm not sure, actually, but that would make sense. Anyway, as someone with a lot of fire, I'm starting to wonder what my own version of that eco role might be. But I want to bookmark that. And a few questions about your journey. The first one being, you mentioned being on the precipice of ego dissolution and your being went into laughter and levity. And I know that in my experience, every single medicine journey I've been on, when it comes to this invitation to walk past the door of all illusion and come back to oneness. For me, there's been so much fear of what if I don't come back to this body? I remember having one very specific ayahuasca experience where I didn't have health insurance at the time. And all I could think about that if something goes wrong with me, not only I'll have to embarrass myself by telling my family what happened, but also I would have to ask for money because I didn't have the money to pay to the ER. (laughs) But, you know, this is just one human facet of different fears and stories that come up when there's this invitation to come back to the soul remembering, to see the bigness of who we are and where we come from. Another one is just simply how hard or how far we've walked as a human in this lifetime. And when an invitation comes to release that, not knowing if we'll come back to everything we've been building up until now, it can be very scary. So how come you felt so at ease, what sounds like just crossing over? <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, so beautiful what you just shared. You know, I think uh, so much to unpack there. In the moment, I felt totally safe and totally loved and totally held. You know, I've I've worked with ayahuasca quite a bit as an ally for for many years now, and so I do have a a comfort level in knowing that you know, no matter where she takes me, I'm going to come back okay, even if you know she takes me into some really challenging and confusing 
or even disassociative realms that I'll always be okay. And I think that also goes back to, you know, my experience with being a a shamanic practitioner. You know, I, I go into these shamanic realms on a regular basis and go into the lower world and the middle world and the upper world. And I truly don't have, I guess, any fear around anything that I may encounter. I know that, you know, whatever I do encounter, if I set the container and I set the intention for the container to be held, you know, with unconditional divine love, and I call in, you know, my guides, my protectors, that all is going to be well. And I also have this trust in knowing whatever threshold I cross, you know, that if I am brave and courageous enough to surrender to the mystery, there's so many jewels and rewards in that surrender because, yeah, mystery just wants to seduce us with its beauty. <laughs> and the universe wants to seduce us with its beauty as well. And so, in that moment, you know, I had also, I would say, have had experience in really working with the spirit of death as an ally, knowing that, you know, we meet the spirit of death over and over and over again, however many hundreds or thousands or millions of times we we die and reincarnate. And so, you know, I also have made the spirit of death my ally and knowing that, you know, it's it's a beautiful rite of passage to actually cross over and transition um, into the other realms. And the spirit of death is this beautiful guide that honestly gets a really bad rap. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, The spirit of death is very compassionate and loving and, you know, helps us make that transition from the earthly realms to, you know, back home to the spirit realm. And so for myself, you know, I, I really had just surrendered to the knowing that, you know, wherever I go, you know, I'm going to return differently and I might be recapitulated on some level. I've also gone through experiences with plant medicines, including ayahuasca, where I have been through a complete dismemberment process, which is a shamanic initiation where you your ego is completely dismembered. Um, you know, if you think metaphorically like Osiris being completely dismembered and then recapitulated and put back, back together by Isis. Well, I myself went through an experience like that in Peru with ayahuasca where I was completely dismembered but through fire, actually, I uh, completely disintegrated and was swallowed by fire. And then my ego came back completely reconstructed. And it was very, at the time in my journey, you know, I was still new to my plant medicine path. And, you know, thankfully, you know, the mentors and the guides like started showing up in my life. I was calling them in to help me understand and um, really interpret my experience and going through a shamanic initiation of complete disillusion and dismemberment and then having your ego reconstructed back together is is a very common theme that can show up in plant medicine journeys. So another thing that you mentioned is this knowing that dropped in that your invitation is to learn about your soul. What does that mean to you? And what is there to learn about our souls? This is a question that I've been sitting with myself because what is my soul? My soul is not this individual that's in a human body. My soul is part of all. So 
what is there to remember besides the fact that it is everything that there is and ever was and will be? That's so beautiful, the way that you just described it, Ksenia. For soul and remembering soul, for me, it, it really is experiencing this unique song that we came here to sing that only we can sing. And like I said before, the, the earth herself is made more whole by us singing that song. And it's also, it's a contract, right? Like it's a, it's a contract that we made that we were going to come here and play a, a particular role in not only the, the sustaining of life here on earth, but the enhancement of life on earth. And so, you know, that's something that, you know, humans, we've, we've lost our way, which is actually leading to an ecocide, you know, that, you know, to no fault of our own, but because there has been a lack of focus on human advancement and, you know, really developing this, this relationship with soul and how we are better stewards to our earth and how we can actually enhance our earth through our, through our soul's participation. You know, when we are able to, to come home to this remembering and this knowing that we have this, this very specific role that we came here to play, we're also, we are participating in this dance that our souls came here to dance in. And when we're in this flow, mystery, great mystery and great spirit start showing us all of the, the clues, if you will, for our path. And so it's this lifelong dance. And it actually gamifies life in a way. And it also allows you to take yourself out of just the the human experience. Because even though we are humans, we are also all of it. I think you you even mentioned that in your description of soul. We truly are all of it. We're the whole web of life. And so, you know, as humans, we we have forgotten as a species what our role is in the web of life. It's not just to extract resources and you know, participate in in commerce and finance and yeah, be here for our own self-service and fulfillment and retire and ride out our golden years taking, you know, cruises and trips. <laughs> it's we came here to really participate in this web of life and enhance this web of life. And the greatest way that we can do this is to, you know, look at nature because nature does this perfectly. And um, and we as humans, we also have free will, right? And so we can choose to go our whole lives and, you know, never, you know, on a soul level decide to, to even want to discover what our particular ecological niche is. But when we do, it really, it enhances our experience and everything starts to make sense. Like all of the patterns, all of the the synchronicities, all of the experiences that we've had along the way start to make sense. And truly a person's soul or ecological niche in the world, that's really how I define soul, this mythopoetic identity that we have, it really frames our perspective around all of our thoughts, all of our dreams, all of our interpretations and perspectives of life. And so once we're able to really come home to this knowing, 
everything starts to make sense. And to come home to this knowing, I will say, I am still, I'm still figuring it out. You know, I think that this is going to be <laughs> a dance that I'm, you know, doing for the rest of my my life. I'm very much still in the metamorphosis phase. I've had a soul encounter and now I'm moving into this phase of metamorphosis where I'm in the chrysalis. I'm, you know, learning the the tools and the ways that I can truly be of service for myself as the water love weaver and also you know being a student and a teacher of water and you know how this can help support and raise the consciousness on the planet and i think that you know everything that we're that we're here to to learn and evolve and grow as a soul you know it all is revealed to us you know when on a soul level like we're calling in the divine timing and you could actually see that i'll go back to the metaphor of the butterfly within our dna very much like the caterpillar, we have these imaginal cells. The imaginal cells in the caterpillar are the ones that tell it when it's time to go into the chrysalis. And the imaginal cells dissolve the caterpillar into the primordial goo <laughs> and then also recapitulate the caterpillar's body into the butterfly. And the imaginal cells are the ones that you know tell the caterpillar, the butterfly, when it's time to take flight. And so I very much see that mirrored within our own DNA. We have these imaginal cells that at the right moment, like things will get turned on when we're ready, but we have the free will. Should we choose to, you know, follow it and take the path or, you know, ignore, ignore the, the guidance and the whispers? Whew. Yeah. And ignoring it seems like such a comfortable choice most of the time because saying yes to being shown our true purpose and being shown who we are and where we come from can dismantle our whole identity and everything we've been working on, everything we've been building in this rerouting fashion of simplifying, burning away anything that is not truly us and that we're not truly here to embody. And I've been going through a deep process of that, of just blowing up the buildings metaphorically that I've built in my life and my business and rebuilding who I am brick by brick, one little word, one post, one thought at a time. And it's not always a comfortable, easy journey that is linear and predictable and light. Some of it is deeply uncomfortable. And I would love to speak a bit more about what are some of those specific ways that you have been shown and are exploring and how we can connect with the medicine of water. So beautiful. I just want to first honor like what you said, because it it truly is. It, it's difficult. It's difficult leaning into the mystery and, and trusting the mystery and um, also being held by the knowing that you know, a higher power is conspiring for our highest good, even when we are not and leaning into that. <laughs> so for myself, coming back to the, just the incredible qualities of water and, you know, water is the most abundant substance on our planet, yet it is the most mysterious. And on a on a volumetric level, our human bodies were born with 90% water in our bodies when we're babies. And then by the time we die, um, we're at like anywhere between 50 and 70% water. 
But on a molecular level, we are actually, it's like 99.95% water, which is incredible. It's astounding. You know, that means that we're basically water beings. And, um, you know, we live on a water planet that's called Earth, but she's really more water (laughs) than she is Earth. (laughs) She's a big blue planet. And so, you know, the substance of water has also been, you know, the, the subject of Uh, different cosmologies throughout ancient lineages and traditions. It's in, you know, every spiritual and religious ritual, water, you know, in certain places on the planet is said to have healing properties. And there's so much that we don't learn about water in our basic biology classes and, you know, middle school, high school, and college. It goes so much deeper Thankfully, we're living in a time where a lot of the research behind water that used to be very fringe is now being noted um, and also recognized with like Nobel Prize winning research studies. And so water is also this bridge where like everything is in this world, but I see water as really being this bridge where spirituality and science meet in this really beautiful blended way. And so water you know, we know it to have three phases, being a solid, a liquid, and a gas, but it also has a fourth phase. And this fourth phase is where water becomes a living crystal and a liquid crystal. And so this is also called structured water. And structured water, basically what this means is that the the hydrogen and the oxygen atoms have formed covalent bonds that form these geometric matrices of crystallizing the water. So if you think of a crystal, you know, a crystal is basically, it's a geometric matrices of repeating patterns. Crystals also hold an incredible amount of information. We know that when crystals are coherent and they're precisely cut, that they can not only transduce, but also transmit an incredible amount of information. You know, this is technology that's been used in our computers and radios and watches, but it's also technologies that are living within our body. And so our body is actually, it is a living crystal. (laughs) Our body is mostly structured water. And the water that's within our body is this fractal antenna that is constantly receiving and transmitting electromagnetic information. So when we can get really intentional about raising our consciousness, you know, that also means that we are playing with the energetics of the morphogenic field or the field of energy that is all around us at all times. It has so, so many different names, you know, chi, prana, the zero point field, whatever you want to call it. But it is this structure of energy that's around us all the time. So when we get really intentional about the structure of the energy, you know, within our environment, like say incorporating feng shui into our home or having crystals within our home or, you know, giving ourselves access to, you know, nature and, you know, really like bringing in energy that's going to support us and being able to stay in this higher vibrational frequency. Well, it's no different within our internal waters because our internal waters are actually they are magnifying our consciousness and they're also changing and supporting the evolution of our DNA because our DNA is wrapped in a helix of very complex structured water. And it's actually been said that aging 
is a condition of dehydration more than anything else. There have been studies that have been done that show, and this is actually a Nobel Prize winning study, that the human cell itself- I'm reaching for my water right away. (laughs) Um, That the human cell itself can live forever. It's the fluid around it and the degradation of the fluid around it that actually causes the entropy or the, the degradation of the cell. And so if we can maintain this, you know, coherent structure of the fluid that's within our body, there really are possibilities that we can expand our life expectancy. And so the telomeres connected to our DNA that we have, you know, thought or that we know now, I would guess in modern science, your your lifespan is determined by the health and also the, I guess, the integrity of the telomeres of your DNA. Well, if we go back to this knowing that the telomeres, the DNA, it's all encased in, in water and the quality of that water, the structure of that water plays a very important role in the health of those telomeres. And so we could actually, you know, extend our life expectancy and also create resistance to, you know, all of the diseases of aging and also diseases of when there's distortions and a lack of coherence in the body, which is pretty much every disease that you can possibly think of. It really is flipping the script on the way that we've been brought up to see our body as this biofield of mechanistic systems that are kind of independent of one another. When we see that the water is truly, it's the unifying field and force that is creating and sustaining the health within our bodies, then it really makes us take a a completely different look at the health and the quality of the water that we're putting into our bodies. And it's not just purified water. This goes beyond that. It, It goes into actually restructuring our water which can easily be done. It can affordably be done. Anyone can do it at home. I can talk a little bit about that. But it is, you know, cleaning our water because if we don't clean our water with a filter, then we become the filter. (laughs) And we definitely don't want to be the filter. And so it's cleaning and filtering the water and replenishing it with, with nutrients and also vortexing and restructuring the water. And so the best way to restructure water is to actually mimic what nature does. And nature naturally vortices water. If you think about, you know, spring-fed waters, oceanic waters, they move through toroidal fields and vortices. And that's actually what creates the covalent bonds in the hydrogen and the oxygen atoms that create the crystalline structure. All of that sounds so beautiful. And... I would love to know what are the specific human applications? How do we put the water through those vortices that you speak of? And how do we restructure it? And how can people do that at home? So beautiful. You know, this is where I'm still like very much a student of learning like the the best way to recreate what nature has so eloquently created on her own, but there are structuring systems that you can get. And so one that I use, it's called a Mayu and I'm not like, they're not paying me or anything. I truly love the product. And so I want to share it with people. It's a really beautiful at home water structuring system and it's spelled M-A-Y-U. 
And basically, that system, it has a, a magnet at the bottom. So it provides an electromagnetic frequency that creates this toroidal field within the water. So first, I filtered the water because I am living on city water. And I filter it through my Berkey. And um, the Berkey, it filters out you know, fluoride and arsenics and prescription medications that can be in the water, all of the environmental toxins and, you know, whatever else may be in the city water, which is really important. It's important to get it clean. Um, And then I restructure it by moving it through a vortices. You can even get, you know, the little, the frothers, um, the electric frothers that people use for like, you know, matcha or cappuccino. And you can put that in water and spin it for several minutes and it creates a vortices. You're basically just trying to get the water to move in a toroidal field. A toroidal field, you know, mimics the the circulatory patterns of like a, a tornado. And so so once you move it like this, you're restructuring it and it actually it reforms all of the the hydrogen and the oxygen atoms to where they do create this crystalline matrix and structure, which is really beautiful. And all throughout nature, you look in nature, like for instance, a snowflake. A snowflake, you know, is a perfect representation of us seeing the crystalline and the crystallographic nature of water in its frozen state. All water found in nature is already structured unless it's been sitting still and stagnant for a long time. So movement is what structures the water. Most of the water that we're drinking is what is called um, bulk water. And it's not just any movement. It has to be this natural movement, this vortices movement, the movement that our modern urbanization of getting water you know, has been is moving it through these rectilinear pipes where they're not getting the the same movement that they would in nature, like in a waterfall. And so it's really important, you know, if we're wanting to restructure our water and get it back to the closest that it can be found in nature is to just move it through this organic movement. And, you know, this is this is a modern problem because up until recently, we were all getting our water directly from nature. We weren't getting it through plastic rectilinear tubes. And so, you know, there's so many different places that we could go with this, but you can actually see, you know, that there may be a correlation between the shift in consciousness on our planet and our direct connection to hydration. Studies have shown that 75% of people are chronically dehydrated, and it's actually estimated that that's a really conservative estimate, that most people are probably dehydrated. And so the implications of this are huge because water is also, it's connected to our brain health. Our cerebral spinal fluid is 90% water. Our brain is bathed in 90% structured water. It affects our heart health. It affects all of our lymphatic tissue, lymphatic uh, fluid and organs, and all of the electromagnetic frequencies within our body are affected. And so this, the implications of this are our central nervous system health, our endocrine health. And so all degenerative diseases and illnesses can be tied back to the health of the water in our body. Main takeaways so far. Number one, you are a crystal. Number two, drink your water. Yeah. And not just any water. 
the best water that we can be drinking is wild harvested water. So from a clean spring. And it's important, you know, if you are going to to collect wild harvested water from a spring that you know that it's tested and it's safe for consumption. I go to a local spring near me and I put the spring water through my Berkey filter still just because, you know, there could be different, you know, small cyanobacterias and I don't want to be ingesting any of those. And so it's really important to, you know, make sure that you're, you're filtering any water before you're consuming it. But then I also, once I have filtered the spring water, then I also restructure it and really charge it so that when it enters my body, you know, it's creating coherence. It is supporting my body's ability to maintain the structural integrity of the crystalline matrix that is already within my body in the water. When you speak of this, what comes to my heart is this memory of when I was in Russia this past summer. There's a huge, very famous monastery next to my parents' country house. It's called New Jerusalem. And there's a natural spring that is associated with it. And somehow, as I think back to this, there's a lot of holy places that have that, where it's both a monastery or a church and a spring. And so I have a lot of memories of going to those springs with my parents and collecting water in whatever containers we would bring. And this past time, I remember I had a very small amount of time because I think I was flying out back to America. And I just was really so clearly called to go and drink that water. And my dad said yes. And he took the walk with me. He collected with me. He carried it for me. And I remember I was just so moved that he listened to my intuitive calling, even though there was little time left and, and we did it. And there's something so purifying and sacred about seeing this stream, standing in the line, being in community of people who are also called to be there in this very moment. And then usually I just like bathe my whole face with it. I drink it. I bless myself. I say thank you to earth. And there's something so beautiful in this ritual that I'm now understanding from new perspectives, thanks to what you shared. And I would love to know from your experience, what have you experienced on a human level in terms of the shifts that occur when you make these changes to your water life? Uh, I just like my whole heart just lit up as you were sharing that beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's so true. You know, we have these sacred sites of water all over the planet and water itself, you know, it has a spirit and it carries memory. It's a carrier of consciousness and really carries the holographic nature of the universe. To answer your question for me, I've always been very drawn to the lore of water, the mystery of water. It's where I found refuge as a child. I loved playing in water. The Kogi indigenous tribal peoples of the Sierra Nevada mountains in Colombia, their cosmology of the world is actually a creation story that is birthed out of water. They see the whole holographic nature of this universe coming from one drop of water, that the water is truly the the birther of 
this whole field of consciousness and information that we're all a part of. And if you think about all of the water that's on the planet right now, it's the same water that has always been on the planet. It's never changed, doesn't go anywhere. Like It's been here since, since Gaia herself incarnated. And so for myself, when I connect with water, I feel like I am connecting with universal consciousness and the expansiveness of all of existence. I truly feel that the the macrocosm of the microcosm, you know, exists within every cell in my body. Practice that has been very near and dear to me that has really deepened, you know, since I had this experience, you know, not too long ago, it was like a little over a month ago. But it's really enhanced this experience of coming to water and using it as a guide, knowing that, you know, water herself carries consciousness. It has a spirit. And so I've started this practice of collecting wild water from different places that I travel to and bringing them home and putting them on my altar and sending blessings and saying prayers into these vessels of water and imagining, you know, the quantum entanglement of these water particles where they came from, those prayers and those those intentions for healing and for strength and health all over the planet are being felt by all of the water that it's connected to. And I also imagine this being received within the waters of everyone's body, knowing that we are all connected. We're all a part of the web of life and water is the unifying thread and substance that connects all of us in this web of life as water is what we could perceive as, you know, the most powerful substance of transmitting consciousness and energy on our planet and also birthing creation on our planet as well. Everything comes from the water. And so I imagine as I'm saying these prayers that everyone's waters are being uplifted and that there is a quantum healing taking place and an activation um, for people's internal waters to to come home to the remembrance and the knowing that we are all connected to this beautiful great mystery that weaves us all. And it's woven to the webs of existence and the threads of unconditional love. And so I really associate water with with love more than anything. It reminds me how recently I was clearing out my bathroom cabinets and I came across a tiny container of my mom's old Christian Dior eye makeup remover from probably 15 years ago. But what I had in it was not the eye makeup remover, but water that had been blessed by a priestess that I used to see when I was a teenager. And I was having skin problems and I remember she blessed that water and she told me to anytime my skin was acting up to put it on my skin. And so I had been saving it and using it only in special moments where I felt like I needed it. And now that I came across it over 10 years later, I just felt like it was time to say thank you and release it. And, you know, when I was opening it, I was wondering would it smell bad? Would it have gone bad because it's so old in this little plastic container having traveled around the world with me? And it didn't smell like anything. It was just as pure as it was when I had gotten it. And some part of me believes that had it been regular tap water, it probably would have grown moldy and all these things. But 
because it was a water that was structured by blessings with that intention that was treated with that reverence, it stayed pure. That's so beautiful. I have like total goosebumps as you're sharing that story. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, water, it is so much more mysterious than than we give it credit for. You know, we look at it and we think it's a substance, you know, and you know, that it's necessary to drink it and, you know, drink eight cups a day to stay hydrated, but it's so much more than that. Um, it really does have a spirit and it has this primordial energy and also primordial intelligence that created all of life on this planet. And when we give our attention and our intention to it, humans, we have the ability to change fields of consciousness with our with our minds, with our energy, with our intent, which is incredible. And when we devote this energy and we really focus this energy and on something like water that can carry this memory for eons of time, um, it does, it changes it. A very interesting anomaly is that you know, everything that is observed in the universe goes through a state of entropy with the exception of something that is crystallographic in nature. And so entropy is the process of degradation, right? So, you know, all living organisms go through this experience of, you know, aging, death, decay, and uh, recomposition. And, you know, this gives birth to new life. It's a, it's a process of, you know, our life cycle. Whereas crystals, they never degradate. They are buried within the earth for billions of years. They only improve in their structure. There was a crystal microchip that was created by, I think it was Hitachi. And it is said that this this crystal hard drive that they created could last for up to like 3 million years. Like it's indestructible. And so the information that's found on it, you know, will live on, you know, long past the time that that we are here. And so, you know, these are ancient technologies that I think ancient civilizations were aware of, you know, water divination practices were very much a part of ancient Egyptians, ancient Sumeria, you know, even going back into Lumerian and Atlantean consciousness, you know, water is very much a part of that folklore that that we are, you know, able to to know and understand today. But you know, water itself, it can be changed even when it degrades in nature, when it, you know, loses its hexagonal forms, when the covalent bonds, you know, are degraded due to it not moving or due to pollution or interference with electromagnetic frequencies. When we have the ability to move it again, it moves out of that state of entropy and it actually changes itself and it goes back into a state of you know, improving and actually getting more and more coherent in nature, which is really, really interesting if you think about it, because yeah, it's the one thing that cannot really be destroyed. And also the mythology of the fact that water bodies are the original mirrors. Yes. The metaphor of that brings a whole other dimension to the medicine that it can bring to us. Yes. That that waters are mirrors. Is that what you said? Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
reflecting back to us, <laughs> yeah, the true essence of who we are. And yeah, there's so many different places where you could take that, like just thinking of how it's so precise and so crystalline in its in its structure that it can reflect back perfectly the image that is reflected upon it. That's so beautiful. The simplest invitation that comes to my awareness is finding the nearest natural body or stream of water and just observing it and being in its presence. I know that on the land where we reside, there's a few streams. And sometimes when it's been raining for a while, you can actually track those streams and see them go through the rocks and down, creating pools of water. And sometimes when it's more dry, you can't see them. But if you get low enough and listen, you can hear the water bubbling just underneath the surface, just underneath the grass, underneath the moss. And every single time I hear it, my whole being wants to just pause and notice and be. And then there's the metaphor of abundance and noticing there's a place where I go grocery shopping and it's right next to a river with a little bridge and you can climb, which is what I do. I climb down the rocks and I usually touch the water and I just observe it for a little bit. This presence of something that is being and its being is so pure and it's always moving and it doesn't pause to assess itself. It doesn't pause to make sure it's on the right path. It just moves and it's such a beautiful and profound invitation for us to remember that even in the most difficult moments where we're not sure what the next human step is, there's always just being in and being with and being the flow of life that wants to come through us and trusting that every step will be revealed to us if we just allow ourselves to keep flowing, to keep flowing because there's nothing to stop. That is so beautiful, everything that you just shared, Ksenia. Yeah, water greets us with this beautiful invitation to take pause and revel in her beauty. And she soothes us with the lullabies of her sounds and and also heals us. I know for myself, anytime I'm wanting to reset my energetic field or just, you know, for for daily maintenance, like getting in live, like spring wild water is essential for my for my own personal self-care. And I I know that that's, you know, something that more people are awakening to, the the power of water that it has to reset our energetic field. You mentioned wanting to get into a spring of water near you. I wanted to offer a resource to listeners People might be wondering like where they can find a spring near them to, you know, commune with with natural spring-fed water because natural spring-fed water is really that's the water that um, activates the cells, it resets the energy field, it releases negative ions into the atmosphere that actually improve our our mood and very similar to when it's about to rain outside. And so uh, findaspring.org is a, it's a database that people can go to and you can just put in, I think it's like your zip code or your local town, and it will show you the areas that have a, a spring. And it will also have information on if you're able to collect water from that spring or if it has uh, swimming access. 
because I know some people might live in a place where they may not even know, you know, where they're able to to find access to to clean swimming water. And I think that goes back to, you know, when people awaken to this deep appreciation for, you know, the water that we're bathing in, that we're drinking, that we're consuming, that we're cooking with, it really makes us want to pay attention to being guardians of Earth's greater waters because we are living in a time where, not to use fear-based language, but there's really not a better term for it, but there are water wars that are going on in our world where large corporations, you know, see water as a, a resource that can be monetized. And they're also colonizing natural water sources um, in indigenous communities and even, you know, in communities um, all around the world in plain sight. And so, you know, in order for us to protect Earth's waters and be stewards and guardians of her, when we when we are passionate about, you know, really protecting all that is sacred and water is truly, you know, the most sacred substance that we that we all need to survive. It really makes you want to get more involved in how we can actively engage in protecting water. And, you know, a lot of that is the conscious choices that we make throughout the day. Like, are we buying bottled water? If we're buying bottled water, you know, it is that a major corporation <laughs> that we're that we're giving our our currency to and supporting. And, you know, the more that we're able to cultivate water consumption like on our own and the more that we're able to also consume water that's local to us, because that's also a very important part of water consumption is that it's from our locale because from where we live, you know, we're taking in all of the micronutrients and all of the the, the different um, bioavailable minerals that are indigenous to our own area, and that's going to best support our own immune systems. And so if we're consuming water that's, you know, from an island somewhere far away or even, you know, a spring somewhere far away, we also have to think about, you know, the ecological carbon footprint that that puts on the earth, you know, how far it has to travel to get to us. And so finding water locally um, is of the utmost importance. And also, you know, so many people don't have access to clean drinking water. They may even live in places where there's an abundance of water, you know, from rain, Costa Rica being one of them. Um, one of my passions is to help some people in Costa Rica that have an abundant access to to water. They just are not able to to clean it. And so it's full of parasites and cyanobacteria, and it's been degradating the health of some of these people that live in these villages for generations. Um, and so there's there's ways that we can all do our part, and one of them is you know very simply like trying to to not purchase as much bottled water and being really conscious of where our water comes from. Rebecca, my final question, at least for now, for you is. How does this new dimension of relationship with water and the structures and crystals behind it tie into the work that you do and how are you integrating it from a human perspective? The answer to that is I think I'm still figuring it out. And I really love that. Again, I love leaning into the mystery and not really knowing where all of this is going to take me. I'm just kind of following the breadcrumbs and showing up wherever 
I'm being called to show up. And so, you know, in the medicine work that I do and also in a lot of the the coaching work and healing work that I do, I think it's all very much intimately tied into it. With Cambo, for instance, um, you know, Cambo is a purgative medicine. And in the Cambo ceremonies that I hold, you know, people are sometimes drinking water in order to purge and release physical, emotional, energetic toxins out of their body, what the tribal word for that is panema, dark or stuck energy, but also environmental toxins, um, toxins that, you know, from medications, cosmetics, cleaning products, everything that we absorb in our food and, and our drinking water. And so on a daily basis, almost daily basis, in the Campbell ceremonies that I hold, I'm watching people purge <laughs> the water. <laughs> and so it's very interesting, you know, like also seeing, again, like a piece of the puzzle come together because I very much talk about the spirit of water and how the spirit of water and the energy of water actually helps the medicine flow. So when people are not drinking water when they're working with Kembo medicine, it can actually slow down the energy of the medicine in some ways. And the water actually keeps the energy of the medicine moving. And so I've been able to witness how it's an incredible conduit and also, you know, a, it's a it's an energetic frequency that helps the medicine travel throughout people's bodies. And then also with um, a lot of the the coaching and the healing work that I do, it's so interesting because you know a lot of the work that I do it's with it's with healers and it's with people that are feeling called to to be on the medicine path. Some of that is in preparing them for medicine journeys and psychedelic experiences and helping them integrate it. But a lot of it is people that feel called to share medicines, not necessarily all psychedelic. Sometimes it's you know different plant medicines like cacao and um, other other offerings um, ceremonially. And so I guide them a lot through creating a ceremonial container. That's really I. I wasn't really putting that out into the universe that that's you know what I was offering, but I guess on a energetic level I was because those are the people that have been showing up for me to to help guide them and creating um, energetic containers for ceremonies. And water is always an intricate part of the ceremony. Working with all of the elementals and also you know working with different archetypes and beings of protection and creating, you know, structure for the container. But water um, is always an intimate part of creating the container for the ceremony, at least in the ones that that I've led, just because it is this beautiful substance that we have all had in ritual, you know, in some way or another from the time that we were really little. We all have a relationship with water and it's cleansing. And we are able to bless ourselves and bless each other with water and yeah, I'm just really excited, I think, to see where all of this is going to lead because it's all so new, you know? Like I had the the encounter with soul where I received guidance that my mythopoetic identity is the water love weaver just a little over a month ago. So I still feel like I'm very much like a baby. <laughs> like it's very much I'm in beginner's mind and I'm 
I'm excited about being in beginner's mind and being in that place of knowing that things may fall away. And that's really beautiful because as each thing dies, it gives birth to to something new that wants to be born. Always. And if you're watching us on YouTube, there's a beautiful altar with different elements behind Rebecca. And also, if you're watching us on YouTube, you may have noticed, Rebecca, something I'm called to ask you about is often when you speak, you have your right hand in front of your heart like that. What's the symbology behind that? Oh, I don't know. I think that's just when I am communicating from my heart, I probably have some sort of subconscious tendency to pull my hand up to my heart <laughs> and, um, and yeah, communicate in that way. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing this part of your path with us and for playing in the unknown with us and for trusting the unknown. And before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask that you feel called to share? This has been such a fun conversation, Ksenia. I just love your playfulness and also your incredible, you know, thought-provoking questions. You know, going into this experience, I think, you know, when you and I first jumped on the call, I said there's so many different places that we could go with this. We really didn't um, have a a clear map, and and it could go in every direction. And it's just been a really beautiful conversation of exploring consciousness, identity shifts, and soul exploration, and um, and yeah, water with you. I'm really grateful. Thank you so much. And I hope to hug you in person soon. Me too. And before we officially wrap, what's the best way for everyone to connect with you? So my website is Cambo Spirit Path, and that's K-A-M-B-O Spirit Path. And then on all of my social accounts, it's also Cambo Spirit Path. So Instagram at Cambo Spirit Path, Facebook at Cambo Spirit Path. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ksenia. Bless you, you magical being. (laughs) If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, Follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.